And so this morning, we're carrying on in our series on the King and his cross, and we're carrying on in Mark. And uh, I've entitled this preach, uh, A Risk of Faith. Uh, Now, for some of you, the word risk builds up this, like, fear moment. And for some of you, you're like, yes, I love a bit of risk. When I was a child, we used to go on holiday to Devon. Um, Most of that was being on the beach and being chilled and in the sea and in the sand, building sandcastles. But we always had one day out. And we used to go to the Shire Horse Centre in Devon, which is basically all these Clydesdale horses. You'd go around, you'd find out about their characters, you'd see them plowing the ground, uh, etc., etc. But to be honest with you, as children, all we really wanted to do was get to the play park bit. And uh, at the play park, they had these free fall slides. There's a picture that's just about to come up of these free fall slides. Oh, it's, it's not very good because it's an old picture. Uh, and so they had two. This one is like super steep, and this one is less steep. Uh, and so what happened was you kind of came off the edge, dropped, like free fell. So <laughs> fell freely, I don't know, you know what I mean, dropped, and then we hit the bottom and then would kind of slide uh, at the bottom. And I noticed that there were four kind of reactions to these free fall slide. There was the kid, who's probably like my middle son, who would see the biggest slide, they would run up the top, they would dive off the top without even thinking about it, and slide off the bottom. And the second reaction that you would see was a child who would go up, they would sit at the top, they would have their sister or their mum or dad sitting next to them, and they would be gently talked through and encouraged about how this is okay, you can do it. And that was probably me, to be honest with you. Uh, And once they'd gone down, they were like, yes, this is great, I'm up again, and off I go. And then there was the third reaction, there was a child that would go up, sit on the edge, look over, this is probably my eldest son, and go, "Uh uh-uh, there's no way I'm going down that. Turn around and walk back down the stairs. And then there was the fourth reaction to this kind of risk of sitting on the edge, and that was, there's no way I'm going anywhere near that. I'm staying right at my mum's side, and I'm not leaving her side. I thought it'd be quite interesting to do a wee survey to find out who you would be. So if you're the person that is like, risk, I love a bit of adrenaline, I would be up the top of that slide and I'd be flying off it. Put your hand up. There's no shame. There's no shame. Oh, there's quite a lot of you. Very good. Okay, if you are the second person, a little bit like me, that would go up and be like, I need someone to tell me it's okay and it's going to be fun. And actually, if you would like to sit alongside me and we could do it together, that would be even better. If that's you, put your hand up. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? If you were the person that would go and sit on the edge and look over and be like, oh, I can't do it, I can't take that step, uh, put your hand up. Yeah. Okay, And the person who would be like, no way am I going anywhere near anything that has any risk involved, put your hand up. (laughs) Very good. Now, all of those reactions are totally normal with the whole flight or fight thing that has been made inside us. So you're not to feel any shame for any of those reactions. But do you know, I wonder whether that's a bit like us with risks of faith whether we might be like that person that's like, risk, faith, I'm up for it. I'm out on the streets with Archie. I want to go and tell people about Jesus. 
or whether you're the person that's like, I want to hear a few testimonies. I want to hear that it was okay the last time, and then maybe I'll go, but only if someone's standing next to me. Or maybe you're the person who, when you think about a risk and you think about stepping out, you're like, "Mm -mm, that's definitely not for me. Archie, on you go. Actually, Archie, which are you of those four people? Oh, there you go. That's it. <laughs> For those of you that didn't hear that, if you come and stay at Evie's tea shop, you can pay the bill. Okay. So I, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at how Jesus is the Lord of different things. So we heard about when Julie came that Jesus is the Lord of the storm as we opened up the passage and we looked at what it's like to be in a storm and how Jesus calmed the storm. Then we heard about when Archie spoke about Jesus being the Lord of the evil spirits when Jesus cast the demons out and they ended up in a whole load of pigs that went flying off the cliff face. And today we're going to hear about how Jesus is the Lord over sickness and he's the Lord over death. And we're going to open up the passage at Mark 5. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a wee bit of background of these two different characters that we're going to meet. Excuse me. I was saying to someone, I don't know whether it's nerves or the Holy Spirit, but I feel a bit jangly this morning. It's maybe a mixture of both, and that's cool. Okay. So first of all, we're going to meet a man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was the synagogue leader. So he was the person that oversaw the synagogue, made sure that everything happened smoothly, that the service took place, uh, that um, the leaders knew what they were doing, that everything ran smoothly. He was organized. He probably would have been a little bit like this man. Some of you will know him. Some of you don't. He is our chairman of trustees. His name is Jim Purdy, and everything he does is done meticulously. He has just retired, and in his retirement, he has decided that he's going to do a theology degree. Now, he's the kind of person, I have got permission with him to share this, by the way. Uh, He's the kind of person that thinks through things very logically. And I imagine Jairus was a little bit like Jim Purdy, very organized, uh, had a really high standing. And Jim is very well respected. He was both in his workplace and he is in the church as well. I've heard that he runs a trustees meeting like a meeting you've never been in before. Every minute is planned, and it's brilliantly done. He's got huge respect around our church. And I imagine Jairus was the kind of person that had huge respect. And then we meet this complete extreme. We meet this lady who had been bleeding for 12 years. Women, imagine that for a moment. Bleeding for 12 years. Now, in Jewish times, in Jewish law, if you had been bleeding after you'd finished your menstrual cycle, you would have to go and sacrifice uh, two doves or two pigeons, uh, and then you would be clean for other people to be able to come and touch, and you'd be able to be back in the synagogue. So this lady hadn't been in the synagogue, had been seen as unclean for 12 years. I imagine the detergent wasn't quite so good then, and she probably was a little bit smelly. She probably hadn't been around very many people, and so was probably a little bit socially awkward. So we have these two extremes. We have Jairus, this most organized man, and we have this lady, whose name we don't even know, who's been bleeding for years. And that's where we pick up this passage. So... Let's turn to Mark 5, 21 to 43. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn to it or swipe to it on your phones. No checking Facebook or Twitter. 
or Instagram. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we have one left. Uh, please don't use it as a doorstep. If you'd like it, pop your hand up and I'll bring it to you just now. Hey, oh, so risk adverse. <laughs> I'm not putting my hand up. Uh, okay, so let's read together. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, notice that word, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who has touched my clothes? You see people crowding around you, the disciples asked, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, there's that word again, immediately the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone now about this and told them to give her something to eat. I just love how these two stories are so interwoven. I find it really interesting that the lady had been bleeding for 12 years and that the girl was 12 years old. I love how by themselves, at, they were at the end of their selves and were so desperate that that's when they came to meet Jesus. And you know, one touch from Jesus and immediately everything changed. Do you know, that is our prayer. 
that as people walk in our doors at City Church in Varuri, as people meet with you, that one touch from Jesus and everything would change. Amen? So this morning we're going to look at three things that we can learn uh, from what happened here. Firstly, the two people humbled themselves. So we're going to look at what it means to be humbled. First of all, they put their prejudice behind them. It's interesting, we had a leadership conference recently, and there was a guy called Mark Green who had come to speak. And this is where you get to know a little bit more about me and probably think you don't want to know me. (laughs) Um, As this guy stood up, (laughs) his trousers were like half-mast. They were halfway up his legs. He looked a bit like Rowan Atkinson. And I have to say, inside, if I'm being totally honest, my heart sunk I was like, we've got to listen to this man for a whole hour. This could be really terrible. But you know, as he started speaking, he was incredible. He was hilariously funny, probably funnier than Rowan Atkinson himself. Rowan Atkins? Rowan Atkinson. Uh, And what he was saying was so wise. It was like gold. And I can remember nearly everything he said. And for anyone that knows me, remembering anything is a miracle. Uh, So it was absolutely amazing. And I just wonder how much we prejudge people. How much we prejudge what an encounter with Jesus might be like. See, Jairus had to leave his prejudice behind him. Because you see, Jesus was known to the leaders of the synagogue as a heretic as someone not to be listened to. And Jesus wasn't even allowed to come into the synagogue. And so he had to leave his prejudged ideas about Jesus when he was at the end of himself and throw himself at Jesus' feet. I wonder whether people have come here today with a prejudged idea of what church is like. I wonder whether people have come here today with a prejudged idea about what Jesus can do in their lives. Maybe because of their past. Maybe because of other experiences of church. Maybe you have a prejudged idea of what meeting with Jesus is like. Maybe because of what you've seen in other people or what you haven't seen happen. I feel like today God is asking us to humble ourselves and put our prejudged, our prejudiced ideas about him behind us. They both had to leave their dignity. When I had my children, I remember my mum saying to me, when you go into hospital, you leave your dignity at the door, and when you come back out, you pick it up again. (laughs) Some people understand that. Some people don't. That's totally fine. I'm going to explain to you what happened to me. Not in too much detail, because it would be a bit gory. Uh, When I had Kezia, I had quite a traumatic birth, and I had a very big hemorrhage and wasn't feeling very well at all. But strangely, they sent me off to go and have a shower on my own. And I nearly totally collapsed, quickly pulled the buzzer, and this lady walked in. I was not in a good state. She was a parent of a child I'd taught a few years before. I have never felt more undignified in my life. A few weeks later, I bumped into her in Tesco. And I said to her, I look a bit different today than I did the last time you saw me. (laughs) 
you see, to receive the blessing that was Kezia, I had to go through a really undignified mess. Jairus was a man of standing in his community. To go to Jesus and ask for help was leaving his dignity at the door of the synagogue or at the door of his house. This lady, who'd been bleeding for 12 years, had the risk of being exposed that she'd been bleeding. for. Can you imagine in a large crowd of people, probably bigger than this, saying, yep, that's me, I've been bleeding for 12 years. How undignified is that? You see, I feel like Jesus is asking us to be undignified, to leave our dignity behind. And then another part of being humbled is leaving our pride and not worrying about what other people think. Do you know, pride and what other people think is crippling. I know that for myself. I was thinking about the other week, Archie at the end of the service, like, right, let's move all the chairs away. We're going to worship God. I was thinking, I would never do that because I'd be thinking, what's everyone going to think? What's everyone going to say when they go away and talk about it? And in fact, our son, this week I had a phone call from the school because his, um, his education is suffering because he is so worried about the fact he doesn't fit in, about the fact that he's different to his peers. You see, that worry about what other people think is crippling. This is total speculation. But I find it really interesting that Jairus left his dying daughter. I don't know that I would leave my dying daughter. I think I would send someone who I knew was going to do the job for me and do it well and go and get Jesus. Maybe he was a bit of a control freak like me and thought, actually, I know I need Jesus, and I don't know that any of these are going to do it. If I go, it's going to happen. But maybe, just maybe, he asked one of his friends, and he said to them, would you go and get Jesus? And they said, no way. There is no way I'm going anywhere near that heretic. So he had to leave what other people thought about him to go to Jesus. I know that we've moved our ministry at the end of church to the front. And for some of us, that is extremely uncomfortable. Because it means other people can see that we're receiving prayer, we're receiving ministry. I want to say to us today, church, I think it's quite significant that we're coming forward. We're family. And we need to decide we're not going to judge each other. And we're going to love each other. And we're going to care for each other. And we're going to get around each other. And it might be me this week, but it might be you next week. But we're church and we're family. And if we can't be real with one another in church, where can we be real with one another? And so I think there's something about the coming forward and saying, actually, Jesus, I need you, which is why we're doing it. So I'm sorry if that feels uncomfortable, but we think it's quite significant as a culture thing for our church. This is family. We do it together. We love each other and we don't judge. And nothing goes outside the room. We're not going to go, oh, do you know I saw such and such going up? That's not how it works. We love and honour each other and care for each other, and that's what this is about. Let's leave our pride in our seats, church, as we come and meet Jesus. You'll be glad to know that my next two two points are a little bit shorter. Uh, So the next thing we see is that they both took action. 
It's one thing to humble themselves, leave their prejudice and their dignity behind them and their pride. But if they didn't do anything and they stayed in their seats, would they have received the blessing that Jesus had for them? Don't get me wrong. There are loads of times in the Bible where Jesus sees things happen. He is moved and he goes and does something without people doing anything. But I think time and time again, we see that as people do something, Jesus does something. And so I was just thinking about the story of Naaman, you know, the Syrian prime minister, I suppose, as he was. And he had leprosy and he was told by Elijah, Elisha, I never know which one it is, uh, that he needed to go and dip himself in the River Jordan, and he had to do it seven times. What about the man who had to have mud put on his eyes? What about the man who was lowered through the roof? What about these two people? That as they took a step, as they took action, Jesus did something. When I asked Jim if he'd mind me using his example as Jairus, he'd said, I don't want to be put on a pedestal I don't want to be at the center of attention. And I love the fact that Jairus was probably similar. But he had come to the end of himself. And his daughter was dying. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet. It says he fell on his knees and begged him in the message. In the, in the NLT it says he fell at his feet pleading fervently. Fervently means enthusiastically or passionately. I don't know about you and your prayer life, but I'm not sure that my prayer life looks fervent, enthusiastic, and passionate. But I'd love it to. I'd love it to. You see, the woman, she had to reach out and touch Jesus' cloak. And then she instantly stopped bleeding. We love Chuck and Taryn, our senior pastors. Uh, They're incredible people. And Archie and I have been in the church since it was probably about 100 of us uh, that would gather in the city center. And we saw it. We were one of the first members of staff. I was staff member number four. Now we have 30-something members of staff. And uh, I was the children's pastor. And we saw the church grow. I still am, by the way. We saw the church grow incredibly in a very short amount of time. And we ended up not having enough room for people to come uh, and be in church on Sunday. There were people kind of lining the edges on the floor, sitting in the aisles. The balcony was packed. There was no room for the kids. We're like, what are we going to do? And so Chuck and Taryn uh, decided that what they were going to do is they were going to buy a bigger building. Well, first of all, they were going to extend the building. They were going to make it double the size of the auditorium, but it was going to be 1.8 million pounds. So they quickly decided, mm-mm. Don't know that's a good idea. Uh, And so they decided, let's go and buy a building. We could probably do that for about half the price. So we tried to buy a casino to convert into a church. We tried to buy a warehouse. Uh, We tried to buy a bigger church. I think maybe it was a couple of warehouses. There was at least four buildings we tried to buy. I say we. I wasn't really involved in that. The leaders and the trustees. And every single one of them failed. But then there was a church a little bit further down the road and they'd outgrown their building, and so they'd started to meet in a school. And so, we, so Chuck said to them one day, would it be okay if we had like an overflow service in that building a little bit down the road? And uh, they said yes. So we started having almost this other site just down the road. And when it happened, 
There were people that were serving, people on the worship band that had been on the outskirts of church, and suddenly they found their place. And Chuck and Taryn felt like God said to them really specifically, you're to start four new expressions of our church in the next few years. I think it was in four years, actually. And so they said to the church, they, they said to them, you know what? Uh, we're not going to extend this building. We're not going to buy another building. What we're going to do is we're going to start four new expressions of church in different places throughout the city and the Shire. And actually, that's going to come to about 480-something thousand pounds, which seemed like a lot of money still. They told us all to go away, pray about it, ask God how much that they should bring. And uh, we had a big gift day. And I think something like 98% of that amount of money came in with one-off gifts and pledges. Amazing. You see, Chuck and Taryn aren't just people of faith, but they're people of action. And I feel like that's something for us today that we need to remember, that we need to be not just people of faith, but people of action. I wonder whether some of you have faith for a ministry in Inverurie for something that could start to reach more people, maybe the marginalized, maybe children, maybe teenagers, maybe mums, maybe single people. But you see, you have to take action. For something to happen, you have to take action. I love that when everyone else was saying... It was too late. Jesus said, oh, hold on, I've skipped a page, I think. Hmm. I could tell you that now anyway, actually. Finally, (laughs) so they took action, they humbled themselves, they put their prejudice, they put their dignity, they put their pride behind them. Then they took action. They threw themselves at Jesus' feet or they touched his cloak. And then finally, we can learn that it's never too late. It's never too late to, A, ask Jesus for help. You see, this lady had been waiting for 12 years. That was probably a lot of washing. Probably a lot of embarrassment. It says that she'd spent a lot of time seeing doctors And that had just made it worse. It says that she had no money left. She spent a lot of money. And just for interest's sake, there was a Jewish book which had 11 different cures uh, for such a problem. And I thought I'd just give you a little bit of interesting information. But one of those cures was that you carried around the ash of an ostrich egg wherever you went. And this was meant to um, cure you of your bleeding. Another one of those cures was that you found a piece of barley that had been found in the dung of a white female donkey, and you carried that around, and apparently that worked too. And so this poor lady, I can imagine her going around doing all these crazy things, being like, I desperately, desperately want to be healed. It's interesting, though. It wasn't too late, was it? One touch from Jesus, and she was totally healed. Isn't it interesting when we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we ask Jesus. After we've been to all the doctors, after we've been for all the job applications, we're at the end of ourselves, that's when we ask Jesus. And whilst Jesus was spending his time talking to this woman, 
people came from Jairus' house and said, it's too late. Your daughter is dead. Maybe you feel like it's too late to ask Jesus for help. I feel like there might be particularly someone here that's thinking, it's all very well you saying that, Jude, but I had a relationship with a parent that wasn't great. And actually, they've passed away now. It is too late. Do you know, it's never too late for Jesus. He can bring his comfort and his healing. We would love to pray for you. I love that when everyone else was saying it was too late, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Also, it's never too late to obey Jesus. Jesus asked, who touched me? The disciples said, don't be silly. Everyone's touching you. Can you not see this crowd? They're all gathered around you. Which implied to me that this dear lady was like, I'm staying very quiet here. But then he carried on looking. And I imagine he said again, who, who touched me? In the New King James Version, it says that Jesus said this, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made you whole. Go in peace. We've been doing a Bible study on a Monday morning with this lady called Beth Moore. And uh, I've had a wee cheeky sneaky going into the, day, the week ahead uh, because she, next week we're doing about Jairus' daughter. So I, I've already done that day of the study. And she said that she reckons it was like Jesus saying this, Do not go forth as someone who feels they've stolen a gift. Be of good cheer. I freely give it to you. See, she was in fear and trembling when she first had to tell Jesus what had happened and what she'd done by touching the cloak. But then after his words, she could go away in peace and enjoy. I can, can you imagine after 12 years, after she'd sacrificed her doves and pigeons, she'd have been partying. I'd have been partying. I wonder whether there's um, people here who are a bit like Jonah. I was reading the story of Jonah, and you know how God says, go to Nineveh, and I want you to challenge the people there. And Jonah's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm on my way to Tarshish, and goes a complete other direction. He gets on a boat. There's this, this is very brief. he gets on this boat, there's this crazy storm. They're like, what's going on, Jonah? He's like, oh, it's my fault. It's because I was meant to go to Nineveh and I'm on the boat with you to Tarshish. The only way we can sort that out is by throwing us, throwing me overboard. And so he was thrown overboard and then this huge fish swallowed him up, spat him out on the beach and God said to him again, what did he say? Go to Nineveh. And I feel like for some of us maybe, you've heard God say to you, do this. And you're a bit like Jonah and you're running away like, I'm, I'm off to Tarshish. But you know, God gives you a second chance. And I wonder if he's saying to some of us again, remember that call I put on your life? It's still there. It's not too late. It's not too late to obey me. It's never too late to obey Jesus. So what about us? Let's humble ourselves. Whether it's putting our prejudiced ideas about what an encounter with Jesus would be like. 
whether it's losing our dignity and coming to the front, whether it's not worrying about what our friends or what our church family think of us. Let's humble ourselves. But let's not just humble ourselves and stay on our seats. Let's humble ourselves and take action. Is there something today or this week that you need to put into action? And let us know it's not too late to ask Jesus for help. In whatever it is, whether it's a job, whether it's your health, whether it's a relationship, or whether you're thinking, I'm, I'm too old. It's too late for me. Jesus says it's not too late. Or maybe you think, because of my past, or because of something I've done in my past, it's too late for me. It's never too late. God is a God of second chances. If you've heard God calling you, you think it's too late, it's not. If you're ill and the doctors have done all they can do, it's not too late. Jesus has the final word. What risk is God asking you to take this morning? Going back to that first illustration, what's our response to risk? What's our response to stepping out in faith? It might be that, yeah, I'm up for it. Or it might be you're like, no way. But do you know, taking a step of faith is a choice and a decision. And even if it's a terrifying thing, you've got people sitting next to you and you can say, please come with me. You don't need to do it on your own. We're a family and we do this thing together.